Welcome to the FDN Thrive Podcast. We interview leaders in the functional health space who bring you the most up-to-date, cutting-edge information for people who have tried it all for their health issues. We hope you enjoy the show. SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and that is when the bacteria, most of which is supposed to be in our large intestine or our colon, migrates up into our small intestine. And it doesn't belong in our small intestine. That is where most of our digestion and absorption takes takes place. And when we have too much bacteria in the small intestine, that bacteria is getting our food and it's getting the nutrients instead of us being able to, you know, absorb those nutrients into our body. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the FDN Thrive Podcast. My name is Evan Transu, aka Health Coach Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Our guest today is Suzanne Healy, who is a certified integrative health coach and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner with extensive training in functional medicine for coaches. After finding her own root causes, she was able to not only lose the extra weight, but also heal her digestion and skin naturally. So losing the extra weight, addressing digestion and skin problems, I think, Suzanne, that you just spoke to 90% of people in the world (laughs) in one way or another, right? Certainly, we are dealing with one or more of those issues, so I think it's great that you're touching on that. Suzanne helps women who are sick and tired of yo-yo dieting to find their root causes so that they can lose weight and heal naturally without dieting or counting calories or points. We talked about quite a few things today, but what I love about Suzanne is she's like one of those people you can kind of feel her smile through the interview, it is so obviously genuine that she is in this work to help people. And I think that's why she's seeing so much success. So if you want to talk about weight, if you want to talk about skin, if you want to learn about SIBO, this is the podcast for you. So without further ado, let's get to the episode. Hey there, Suzanne. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, Evan. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm glad to talk to you again. Now, Suzanne and I just did something recently on The Real Results Show. So you can find that actually by searching for the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition page on Facebook. We're also on YouTube and you can just type in Real Results Show. So it's a slightly different interview format, certainly shorter, um, and it does usually happen live. So it's (laughs) very high energy if you're into that kind of stuff. So always go feel free to check those out. But what I love about the podcast is it's a little more laid back. So we do get that time to be even more conversational and just dive deeper into certain things. So let's start off just for people who aren't going to watch both types of things, right? The Real Results Show and listen to this. I'd love to talk about your own personal health journey. And that is the first question we always have on this show is what health symptoms have you dealt with and when did they start? Okay. Yeah, great. I would be happy to to share that information. So I actually struggled with my weight as a child. I remember being like eight or nine years old and being different from the other girls. I wasn't, I wasn't like obese or anything, but I was pleasantly plump. I carried around extra weight. I was known as the chubby girl in school. And I didn't know much about nutrition, pretty much ate, you know, standard American diet. My mom was an amazing cook, always cooked us good family meals, but I had a sweet tooth and I probably ate too much sugar and too much junk food and kind of had an addiction to it probably from an early age, but didn't know much about it. Didn't really know that was a problem. And so I remember back eight or nine years old, kind of like noticing that I was different. By the time I was about 15, I developed some digestive 
issues with bloating and cramping and not feeling good in my stomach. My mom took me to our regular family doctor. They weren't sure what was going on with me. I went to go see um, an OBGYN. I went through like a diagnostic laparoscopy to make sure that there was nothing you know, wrong that in, in my, my female body parts. And there wasn't. And finally, I saw a gastroenterologist. And about after a year, I was diagnosed with IBS, which was not very commonly known back then. So I was 16, um, diagnosed with IBS, wasn't much that could be done other than they told me to make sure that I included more fiber in my diet. So I started on Metamucil, taking that pretty much every day. And my symptoms were kind of on and off in like the years to follow. Years went by, I was in my mid thirties at this point, still carrying extra weight, had been kind of a yo-yo dieter, would go on a diet, lose some weight, weight would come back on again. Always kind of battled that for my whole life. And honestly, didn't know a lot about nutrition, didn't know about the foods that worked for me, um, really didn't have that knowledge or that information. And um, at about that point, I, my digestive symptoms got a lot worse. And I went to go see my doctor and she put me on antidepressants. And I kept thinking like, why am I on antidepressants? This doesn't make sense to me. I'm not depressed. The symptoms are like in my gut. My gut is just bloated and cramping and I'm just not feeling good. So I began to wonder if there could be a connection with what I was eating and how I was feeling. I talked to my doctor about that. I really wasn't getting any answers. She told me, you know, you can track your food, see if certain foods are kind of aggravating to you, but there really wasn't anything that could be done. I also noticed that my face was broken out with acne. So my doctor sent me to a dermatologist. I was put on low-dose antibiotics for over a year I was on those. Well, my skin got better, but my digestion was so much worse. And that really began my search into like the world of nutrition. I just could not get out of my mind that there must be a connection going on with what I'm eating and how my body is feeling. So I started researching anything I could get my hands on, trying different styles of eating, different ways of eating, and not really finding anything permanent that really was working for me. And that was when I came upon the FDM program. I found um, Reed Davis's program online when I was Googling. And he was talking about, you know, being able to, you know, get to the root cause of your symptoms. And if you have symptoms, your body's trying to communicate with you and that symptoms are the last thing to appear. And I really felt like, wow, this is somebody who really gets me. He was totally like speaking to my heart. So I enrolled in the program, started learning a lot more about nutrition, about the amazing labs that we have available and figured out the foods that worked for me and got the nutrition information that I needed. My weight really was no longer an issue at that point, was still dealing with some digestive issues, and then was able to get the testing, which was more advanced functional lab testing, and found out that I had a condition called SIBO, uh, which is small intestine bacterial overgrowth, and that was contributing to all of my digestive symptoms. So once I was able to heal the SIBO, I was feeling like a million bucks and really got into this work of helping other people to get to their root causes so that they could heal and be well.
Awesome. This is so cool. And I can't wait to talk a little bit more about SIBO today because I know that was one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on the podcast. We haven't really had anyone focus in on that yet. It's something that comes up a lot for me. And so I just generally want to learn more about it myself. But the other thing I love about the podcast is I can rewind just a bit here to focus in on some of the things you brought up. Um, I love, well, I don't know if love is the right word, but I love that you said why am I on these antidepressants? <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, when I'm hearing these stories sometimes, it is crazy the things that people get descri- uh, prescribed antidepressants for. And I wouldn't blame you here, but is that a question you ever asked the doctor or did you just kind of think that in the back of your head? Like, how did that go? No, I did ask my doctor that. I'm like, I don't really understand why <laughs> I'm going on antidepressants, like my mood. I'm not depressed. I'm not dealing with anxiety. Why are you putting my, me on antidepressants? And her, her answer was that, well, the antidepressants can help to like calm things. They can calm things that are going on in your gut because antidepressants are very connected with serotonin. We make serotonin in our gut and that if we could just kind of calm things down, it might kind of like relax my digestion. Um, but I didn't get any relief from that. So that was not a good long-term solution for me. Plus, it didn't resonate with me anyway. So I wasn't <laughs> going to stay on them. Well, and it's an absolutely fascinating answer considering we actually don't truly know the mechanism of these SSRIs yet. And more importantly, SSRIs do not help you produce any more serotonin in the gut unless I'm completely missing the studies there. Um, so yeah, very interesting um, answer from the doctor. And you know yeah. what? I... I that's probably about as aggressive as I've ever been towards Western medicine on this podcast. And because we're not about that. We, this is a very neutral thing. We have MDs in FDN uh, for crying out loud. You know, we have a medical director program. So this is not something where it's one versus the other. But when I hear things like that, I mean, it is it, it's interesting to say the least, because there's just so many things there that don't make a ton of sense. And it's one thing if this was just a side effect, a side effect free medication, but as anyone who has ever had even the most minute experience with these things, including myself, uh, you will know that they are typically not side effect free. So it's just, why are we putting someone on this for something that isn't even directly related for what we think it might do when we absolutely know it could potentially cause pretty severe side effects. So again, interesting. And did you find that you had any side effects from that? Or did you kind of get lucky there where, hey, maybe it didn't do much, but uh, it also didn't hurt much either? Yeah, I wasn't on it for long enough, Evan, to say that I had any side effects. I just knew that it wasn't helping me. It wasn't helping my digestion. And it just didn't resonate with me to like be on this prescription medication. Fair enough. Fair enough. The other thing I wanted to go back to really quick, especially because it's uh, important in my own life. At the time of recording this, the most recent episode on the FDN Thrive podcast is actually my own personal journey with many things, but the title is Panic Attacks, Acne, and Meniere's Disease. And you know, I know you had brought up before on the Real Results Show, and now today, these skin breakouts. And you're on low-dose antibiotics for an entire year. My question is, what happened when you got off the antibiotics to your skin? Did it get worse, or did you find that it was more more chilled out? My skin was more chilled out at that. Yeah, it definitely was. And again, being on those low dose antibiotics, I questioned the dermatologist, like, are there any side effects from being on them? I wondered like how, how things would be in my gut. If, you know, if you're taking antibiotics, you're killing the bacteria, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff. And I wondered and was told, no, no, it's low, it's low dose enough that you're not really going to have any 
effects from that. But then after a year, when I went back to see the dermatologist, she's like, oh my gosh, you've been on these for like a year. We need to get you off of them. And um, that really, um, you know, kind of, I, I was, then I was like a little bit concerned and my digestion got so much worse after that. So, um, I mean, yes, it cleared up my skin, but it didn't do anything to help my my gut situation. Okay, interesting. I mean, it's definitely just for my own personal knowledge here, but it's wonderful getting to talk to so many people because I'm almost developing this unofficial survey here with many different topics. But it's funny how many people I hear, they go on the antibiotics and yes, almost universally, they do seem to help or do nothing. Rarely do I hear. I don't know if I've ever heard it made acne worse. But then I find that when the people finally get off, it is like a storm comes in. So I'm glad that did not happen to you. Unfortunately, it certainly happened to myself. Um, but you know, you can, I think, at least heal from those things. We don't really have the literature yet to show, well, what happens when you give these to someone for an entire year? Like, is there consequences to that that can't be fixed? Um, I think that they probably can be fixed just from what I've seen in my own life. And if nothing else, I just want to believe that. What's the point in believing that you can't, right? That's not going to help you if you have that mindset. Now, another thing that you had said, and I I just want to kind of focus in on this for a second because it's anyone that listens regularly knows I always do this and it's to try to get more people to have some confidence around taking a natural route. And also for me in trying to communicate this effectively when I'm doing speaking for FDN or something else so that I can help change people's paradigms. You know, you had described this moment, um, it seemed like it was after the year of antibiotics where you know, you're becoming more aware and believing more about the nutritional side of things and how that can be affecting you. What I'm, I'm curious curious about is like, did you have any family members that were influential in this? I mean, did you have some kind of background in it? Because it is incredible to me how many people will, and they're totally smart, open-minded individuals, it seems, but they'll suffer forever and never actually try another route other than the traditional thing that Western does. And then I get these other people that it's like they tried one medication that didn't work and they're like, screw this, I'm doing something else. So I'm always curious of where that comes from. Like, what do you think influenced you to take a more nutritional route? Uh, yeah, I, I think being put on the medications and realizing that these medications weren't doing anything helpful for me and not wanting to go that route, not wanting to try a bunch of different medications. And then also having, and I think it was on an intuitive level of my intuition saying, there's gotta be a connection here. There's gotta be real answers. And I had like a, a belief in if I could figure out what my body needed, my body would know what to do with that and I would be able to heal. I just had this belief in the body's ability to heal itself. I can't say that I had family members or other influential people in my life at that time. It was just like on an intuitive level that really began my search into trying to get to the root causes of what was going on in my own body. The listeners are going to think I'm literally staging some of these answers. I cannot tell you, Suzanne, how many people on this podcast use the exact words that you just used, an intuition or a belief. I hear gut feeling all the time, a natural just questioning of this. And the reason I keep bringing this up over and over again is because I want to validate some people because I know that the people listening are not necessarily always practitioners. In fact, more often than not, they're people on a health journey. And 
yeah, it can be very challenging when you feel like you know something's right and then you go out and look at the world and you're like, oh, wait a second, you know, what is it? Probably 80 to 90% of people still just aren't into this at all. But if you're in your bubble, it's nice. Like I'm in my FDN bubble, Suzanne's in her FDN bubble and our world, it's the opposite, right? It looks like it looks like on my Facebook, 90% of people are into this stuff and only 10% aren't. But it's not the reality in the day-to-day when you go to your local Walmart or supermarket. That's just not how this is happening. So I keep saying this over and over again. If you have a feeling that something's off or that there's something more there, always have the confidence to go check it out. Nothing can hurt by getting a second opinion or just you know trying out a few natural things or a different diet. I mean, you're not going to hurt yourself. Just go out and have the confidence to do that. So thank you, Suzanne. And I, again, I love the wording because that's what I had. Um, first episode ever here with an interview was Ryan Monahan and same exact thing. I don't know. I just kind of had a feeling that I wasn't supposed to be sick or that this didn't make sense. Um, I think that's a very wise feeling and a good use of intuition. That's for sure. So have you heard other practitioners say something similar or maybe even clients? I I have heard that before. Yes. Very cool. And um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, you know, if there's listeners out there and, you know, they're wondering if there are answers for them, my advice is to never give up hope. Like there is always hope for, you know, the right people, the right for you to find what you need, the right combination for you to be able to heal. And that's another thing is I don't feel like it's it's one thing. Some people are looking like for one thing, the one magic bullet, bullet the one pill that is going to make everything OK. But our bodies, everything works together and um, it, it's a combination of things. And yes, food is involved and, you know, getting the right nutrients and getting rid of toxins and, you know, things that we might be dealing with. But it, it's a combination of things. It's not like a magic bullet. Um, and as far as my experience, what I've seen with myself and with the clients that I've worked with. But there's always hope. <laughs> yes. Well, when you hit the nail on the head, I, somehow this hasn't come up yet, I don't think, with the magic bullet type of thing. And again, this is something that we're all subject to. When you get into this world, like the first thing you usually find is like, oh, gluten is you know affecting all of us. Oh, it must be a gluten-free diet. Well, you get a little bit better and then you realize, oh, oh my gosh, it's gut bacteria or, oh, it's this, that, or the next thing. And that's why FDN and FDN Thrive are these comprehensive programs that utilize multiple labs to kind of cover our bases. And then what's great is if you are those kind of minority groups that do need further testing, FDN also has access and training for that, right? So that's what's really special. But you are so right. There are so many people that call and they know absolutely everything about uh, what like MTHFR, right? They know everything about that. They're sure they have it. And they might even be right, but it's like, well, there's more to it than that. You know, your genetic defect is not the only reason um, why you're having these issues. So I think that was a brilliant point to bring up. Now, going back to the story timeline, you're getting these tests done. And I know that you had had like a general overview of some of the things that worked for you, foods you're reacting to, uh, those types of things. But I'm curious to kind of get into specifics here. What were like maybe one or two main findings on the FDN labs when you're going through the course that you're like, wow, this is definitely affecting me. And I know that this is having an impact on my health. Well, definitely doing the the hormonal testing and realizing that my DHEA and cortisol was out of balance and that I was like in a catabolic state um, and needed to restore like my DHEA levels. That was a really big one for me. And doing the um, MRT testing too and realizing that there were foods that my body was responding to, that my immune system and my gut was responding to some of these foods. That was pretty eye-opening because before that, 
I was kind of what you were saying a couple of minutes ago, Evan, was um, kind of, you know, making some changes to my diet, like, yeah, taking gluten out of my diet and yeah, feeling better for a couple of weeks, but then those old symptoms would come back again. And then I do some more research and say, oh, maybe I should take dairy out of my diet and do that for a couple of weeks. And, you know, and I get better, but then again, the symptoms would come back. So being able to do some of the testing and being able to implement some of those results really started to make substantial changes for me. Very cool. Now, I definitely, as I already said, want to jump into the SIBO topic today, but there's one thing I want to hit on before that. And usually what we do is when I'm hearing the things that people find on their labs through FDN, I always like to use this as like a golden nugget moment where you can just get a nice little quick bit of information and a lesson for the people out there. So you talked about the cortisol and DHEA being messed up, meaning that you're in like more of a catabolic state. For the listeners out there that might not have understood that, of course, we don't need you know, a 10 minute lecture. I'm not asking you for that. That'd be a lot right now. Um, but just, you know, what's the little summary? Like, what does that mean when our body is in that catabolic state? And why is that a problem? Yeah. So we're in a catabolic state. We're actually like breaking down um, instead of being an anabolic state where we're actually, we're actually building. And because my DHEA levels were low, um, and I was in a catabolic state and I needed to bring my DHG levels back up again so that my hormones could be in better balance. Makes sense to me. And thank you. That's exactly the kind of answer I was looking for. I know our listeners, you know, we use kind of almost like insider language a lot of the times, right? You know, because we know this, this is like 101 for FDN. Like that's, you learn that on one of the first uh, modules that you go through, but it's always nice for everyone to get to hear that and learn from it. Um, okay. So SIBO, something we absolutely want to hit on today, and I'm just excited to even talk more about this. Now, I think you had already used the full term, but just really quickly, for those out there that don't know, what is SIBO? What does it stand for? And what does that mean is actually going on within our gut? Yeah, so SIBO stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And that is when the bacteria, most of which is supposed to be in our large intestine or our colon, migrates up into our small intestine. And it doesn't belong in our small intestine. That is where most of our digestion and absorption takes, takes place. And when we have too much bacteria in the small intestine, that bacteria is getting our food and it's getting the nutrients instead of us being able to, you know, absorb those nutrients into our body. And it wreaks havoc because the bacteria is not supposed to be um, in large quantities in the small intestine, contributing to symptoms like bloating and cramping and gas and can lead, you know, constipation or diarrhea. And it doesn't mean that the bacteria is anything that's pathogenic. It just means that the bacteria is in the wrong place. It's like I said, most of it is supposed to be in the large intestine and not in the small intestine. And um, SIBO is a condition that uh, recurs quite frequently for people when they are able to get rid of the bacteria in their small intestine, get it back into their large intestine. That recurrence can come back for, for people. So it is something that you have to be mindful of, you know, for the rest of your life. And there are kind of some root causes for why people may develop SIBO. Is it okay if I get into a couple of those? Oh, please do. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So one of, one of them is um, our ileocecal valve, which is in between, it connects our small intestine with our large intestine. If that ileocecal valve isn't clamping tight 
uh, tightly enough, that can allow the bacteria from the large intestine to come up into the small intestine. So for me, I'm very aware of making sure that my body has enough magnesium um, because the mineral magnesium can, can help to ensure that that valve stays nice and, and, and uh, tightly closed. So that's one, that's one thing. And um, you want to make sure that your motility is, is working well, too. That migrating motor complex that kind of washes and clears things that through our digestive tract, we want to make sure that that is able to function properly. So for people who um, have had SIBO, it's, uh, it's important to not be grazing on food all the time, to really have four, maybe five hours in between your meals so that you give that migrating motor complex time to work because it can't work when it's di it's when you're digesting food. It can only work when in the absence of food. So for a lot of people with SIBO, it's good to have, you know, the four or five hours between meals. And then two, you know, not to be eating too late in the evening so that when you're sleeping overnight, that you can really have a good window of time without food. Again, allowing that migrating motor complex to uh, be able to to do its job and to help to, you know, keep uh Keep, keep things cleared throughout your digestive tract. So those are a couple of the root causes. Very, very cool. And how does someone actually figure this out? Or, I mean, is there really any perfect diagnostic test yet, even in Western medicine, to figure this out? Or do we have to use a combination of like clues with the symptoms and certain lab markers? Because I'm genuinely, this isn't just me asking this to provoke a conversation. I actually don't know if there is a 100% definitive way to look at this because I don't even know if this is a diagnosis by Western medicine yet? Yeah. So in the functional world, there is a SIBO breath testing, which um, can be very effective. But again, you, you want to correlate it with your symptoms and with, and with your client's symptoms. Um, because again, no testing is like 100% definitive. But the SIBO breath testing is, um, it's, it's actually very, um, it makes sense when you think about how the testing works. So the SIBO breath testing is um, you need to breathe into these glass tubes and you do it like over a three hour period. So you breathe into your the first tube with you have to not you have to kind of spot, follow a special diet the day before. And then you kind of need to be in a fasting state overnight. But first thing in the morning, you would breathe into one of these tubes to kind of get your baseline marker of what the gas level is. Because the, if you have too many microbes in your small intestine, they will increase the gas level through your breath. And that's what can be detected on the SIBO test. So after you do your baseline tube, then you drink a lactulose solution, which is basically sugar water. And then you start breathing into these tubes like every 15 minutes. And when the tubes get to the lab, they can look at the level of gases inside of these tubes and see. So they're kind of tracking the lactulose moving through the small intestine. And it takes about three hours for the lactulose to kind of move out of the small intestine into the large intestine. So when the lab is looking at these tubes, they can see certain period of time if the gas levels increase if they jump high they're looking at methane they're looking at hydrogen and um and you you can see it because 
the microbes are, are hungry. So they're going to eat that lactulose and then they're going to, they're going to, you know, let off these gases. And then that's what's going to be in these tubes that the lab is able to process and see what the gas levels are. So when you get the test results back, that, that's what you're looking for. Increases in the methane or the hydrogen at certain times as it's moving through the small intestine. And that that's the testing that I used. And it definitely came back. Yes, I had some <laughs> huge increases in the levels and knew definitively, yes, that I had SIBO. And that, that has been, you know, contributing to so many of my of my symptoms. All right. Well, this is awesome. You know your stuff. Now, (laughs) (laughs) one thing I heard actually just recently, and it's not the first time, although this certainly was, I I felt really bad for this person because it definitely was one of the more dramatic ones. And I don't mean they were being intentionally dramatic. It's just things that they read online and really scared them. You know, there's this notion out there and it's perhaps because I don't know. Other places just aren't using the same philosophies that we have. Like, I feel like SIBO is such a standard thing that comes up for a lot of FDNs. I mean, certainly you sound a little more well-versed than the average FDN. I will fully admit that and give that to you. But this is something that comes up kind of often. And, you know, I felt like we had always been able to address that through natural protocols and doing what we do just regularly, relatively easily. But this woman was coming to us basically saying, you know, I I heard that I I can never get rid of this. And that, you know, once you have it, it's like, that's it forever. Now you talked about recurrences. Okay, fair enough. But what are like most places, I guess, recommending that is making this such a chronic issue for people? Because I know for you, I already had heard this on the Real Results Show, full disclaimer, everyone. I mean, you resolved this. So why are so many people thinking this is like a death sentence to get SIBO um, versus like people like us where, okay, if we go to Suzanne, yeah, no, she'll help us take care of that if we're willing to put in the work. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that there's probably... I know that it is recurrent for a lot of people. And, and I think you, you have to be mindful of it. Like I am very aware to make sure that things are functioning well in my gut, that I am, you know, paying attention to a window of time between my meals and giving my migrating motor complex the time to work and making sure that, you know, my magnesium levels are, are you know, what they, they need to be to make sure that the valves are clamping tightly shut. There also is... Um, you know, the whole nutrition piece of it too, that you, you know, you want to be knowing the foods that work for your body and pretty much sticking to it. You know, I was, I'll admit, I was a sugar holic growing up. I couldn't see it then, but I can definitely see it now. I definitely had a sweet tooth, ate a lot of sugar. And that is what contributed to, to me getting the SIBO. So I think it's me being mindful of your food choices too. And, um, you know, just you have to be a little bit deviant, I guess, to, you know, be making a conscious effort to eat healthy all the time, which is not always easy to do, you know, with um, the culture that we live in when so many people are eating, you know, the standard American diet way of eating um, with a lot of processed and refined foods. Um, so it's being aware, you know, of, of the nutrition piece of it as well. And then making sure that, you know, when you have you know, if you do get the SIBO diagnosis and you do go through the treatments for it, that you retest afterwards and make sure that your levels are, are, are low again. And I'm not sure that that happens a lot either with other practitioners that they're, you know, that they're retesting to make sure that the SIBO is, you know, is, isn't present. So those are the top things that come to mind, Evan. That all makes I mean, a ton of sense. Now, 
what this was, was something that obviously was a main symptom for you was actually kind of like the weight problems. Now, interestingly, I hear a lot of the times people with SIBO are dealing with unexpected weight loss. So can you kind of help people make the connection here between why was this maybe like an issue that caused weight gain for you? Because I know that, I mean, when we were doing the real results show, I mean, like you look great. Like this hasn't been a problem for you, obviously, in a while. And I'm just curious, like how addressing something like SIBO can affect weight, because I think many of our listeners would be a little confused about, okay, so I got this, you know, bacteria that's not necessarily supposed to be in this place, in this place, and all of a sudden I gain weight. Uh, Could you give us a little insight there? Yeah. So I honestly, I didn't gain weight when I had SIBO. I would say that, you know, when I was younger and I didn't know how to eat, that was when I, you know, carried more of the weight and then learning about nutrition, like I was able to figure out the foods that worked for me and kind of like, you know, get rid of my sugar addiction and, you know, focus on, you know, more vegetables and, and eating healthy. And even though I got like the food piece of it right and I had the nutrition right, my digestion still wasn't right. And that's what really pursued me on to trying to get to those root causes so I was pretty, I was at my ideal weight when I had the SIBO, but the SIBO was the last thing that I needed to address to really be truly healthy. Okay, fair enough. I definitely misunderstood that. And that makes a lot more sense because again, I hear always about the weight loss and not so much um, the opposite with the SIBO. So, okay, fair enough. And, and that's very true. Like when you're going through SIBO treatment, even though like I had been like at a good weight, I lost, you know, more weight going through the SIBO treatment. But then afterwards, everything, you know, kind of uh, evens out after that. Absolutely. So when you are working with clients, I mean, you've been doing this for a good amount of time. I'm curious, like, do you have any stories offhand that you're just like thinking, all right, someone came to me and then this was totally just a life-changing experience because most of us as FDNs do. And of course, Obviously, it would be even cooler if that case involved some type of SIBO that maybe they even knew about and have never gotten resolved, or maybe this was the first time they heard about it when they came to you. Are there any like clients that you worked with that stick out when I bring up that type of description? Most clients that I work with, I find that a lot of my clients, I, I work a lot in weight loss because that's what people are always wanting to do. They're always wanting to lose weight, but we know as FDNs that Once you get the food piece of it right, if you're still not able to get to where you want to be, that there's other root causes. Um, And what I see in many of my clients are they have sensitivities to different foods and those foods are causing their immune system to react in their in their gut. And they are they're dealing with inflammatory symptoms and really helping people to, you know, cut the foods out for a while, heal the gut lining, um, just makes such a difference in reducing the inflammation. People feel better. Um, One client is coming to mind. I actually shared about her on the Real Results show, but she is just um, really an amazing uh, testimonial where she had been diagnosed with two different autoimmune conditions at the age of 16. And she was able to put those in remission um, by herself with changing her, her food choices. But she still struggled with inflammatory symptoms when she came to work with me, um, a lot of sugar, sugar addictions. And, and we did some food inflammation testing on her and found that uh, she had some food sensitivities, but then also candida was one that came back positive on her test. 
So we worked a lot on, you know, healing, healing the gut lining, taking her through um, the 5R uh, protocol, removing, replacing, rebalancing, re-inoculating her gut. And um, she said that this was like the root cause of that she had not been able to get to before, um, even though, you know, she wasn't really struggling with the autoimmune conditions, that this really made such a difference in the yeast symptoms that she was experiencing. And she didn't have the sugar cravings anymore. So I think that was a great testimonial. And in addition, she lost like 15 pounds just um, by going, you know, by going through this protocol and taking those foods out that were causing her the inflammation. And sometimes I want to share one more case if, if we yep, have time. Please do. Absolutely. I'm working with. And sometimes it can be some simple recommendations that can really make a difference for for somebody. I have a client who I'm working with currently and um, she came to me. She's She was struggling almost every day. She was waking up and vomiting and she was having diarrhea pretty much constantly starting first thing in the morning all throughout the day and she just felt awful. And I said, okay, we need to run labs on you. We've got to do, you know, some of our FDN lab testing. And she said, yes, please. I want to go the holistic route. I don't want to like go see a doctor, please, you know, work, work with me. And so I gave her some recommendations kind of at the beginning before we had any of our test results back. And we talked about slowing down when you're eating, really making mealtime mindful, taking a couple of breaths before you start eating and making sure like you're in that relaxed state before you eat, because that really makes such a difference. It puts us in the parasympathetic, the rest and digest nervous system mode, gets our body ready to be able to digest and break down our food. And it was, you know, it was a simple recommendation. I also um, suggested to her, she was she was drinking a lot of water, like right after she would eat dinner. And I said, I recommended, you know, minimizing. Yes, you can have some water during your meal, but you don't want to be drinking tons and tons of water because we need good, strong stomach acid to be able to digest and break down our food. And when we bring too much fluid in, we are diluting our stomach acid. So just those few, you know, um, I call them like eating hygiene tips that I got her started with. Within just a couple of weeks, she was noticing a huge difference. She's no longer vomiting in the morning and her um, bowel movements are much better. So sometimes it can be some of the simple things that can really make the difference. And I think we we tend to discount them because we're thinking, you know, um, they're too simple to really make a difference. But um, sometimes they, they really can be what um, can really be very helpful to, to somebody to start implementing. So I think that that was just an amazing turnaround with her. And we're still working together. I don't have all of her labs in yet. And we have found other things to work on. But what a change with just like a few kind of um, simple mindfulness techniques to be thinking about when you're eating. Well, I mean, these are such great 
stories. And I'm waiting for the day that I get tired of hearing things like this, but it's been seven years and I think I've only gotten more excited. So I don't know that that's going to die out anytime <laughs> soon. I mean, seriously, this is incredible stuff because I think what really inspires me is that there's so many people that don't know about this and this is still happening so consistently, um, you know, amongst our types of practitioners and people with our philosophy. And it just gives me hope. I mean, I have heard every little thing at this point from extreme cancers to rare autoimmune disorders get resolved or under control through just addressing lifestyle factors and learning some actually relatively simple lab testing. So just very cool, absolutely great stories. One other thing that I wanted to hit on today before we talk about your biz and then finish with the signature question on the FDN Thrive podcast is the elemental diet. So you know, I've heard a lot of different SIBO recommendations in terms of what to eat and what not to eat. And humor me for a second. Let's say this person does not have a food sensitivity test. Um, you know, I know that you had said you used the elemental diet, but like just to be clear, because I, if I'm not mistaken, that is a temporary, but nonetheless pretty restrictive diet. I mean, what did that entail and what did it feel like going through something like that? Yeah. So the elemental diet is basically a powder that you mix with some water and that is your source of food for, I was on it for 21 days and it was very challenging because we're used to, you know, food gives us pleasure. So we like to eat and we like to chew our food and, you know, get the, the pleasure from it and, and drinking the elemental diet shakes, if you will. Um, it, it was challenging. And when I was drinking them, I, I wasn't supposed to drink them down. Like, you know, we have a meal, you sit down for 10, 15 minutes and you eat. These like had to be sipped on. And it was definitely challenging. It was probably one of the most difficult things that I've ever had to do in my life. But I knew that it was working and I knew that it was the right thing for me, for me to be doing. Um, I remember, you know, one night my, my boyfriend and my daughter, they were getting takeout, they were getting pizza. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't have this. And I went like and locked myself in another room um, because I knew that I couldn't have it, but I was committed to doing this. And um, yeah, the elemental diet, it's, it's definitely a difficult thing to do, but it was so worth worthwhile for me. And then after I finished the 21 days, then I kind of had to get my, my digestion going again and, you know, get it used to food. So I remember like making a veggie soup and just kind of sipping on it to get my body ready for digestion. But the point of the elemental diet, and I think why it works so well, is because you do need to get the bacteria out of your small intestine. And the elemental diet works by, your, it's giving you enough nutrition so that your, your body is getting some energy, getting some nutrition, but it's, but it's starving the microbes in your small intestine. So you're not giving that any food. So that's how they starve and they end up leaving your body. Um, so it makes a lot of sense when you think about it, but it's definitely, um, it's not the easiest thing to go through. Um, but I think when you're determined and you're like, I am ready and I need this to be out of my life, I really think that that's the way to go. Well, you, and you nailed it because you know what? The tenacity of the stories that are really remarkable that we hear consistently um, or the tenacity of the people within the stories of these results that we hear consistently. I mean, it's universal. Uh, you know, you're going to have to do some things that other people aren't going to do. But you know what? You can get incredible results. And what would even be more interesting to see, Suzanne, and I'm sure you know we're all advocates for this, 
These are results that people are getting after years, if not decades of being sick and finally finding people like us with the FDN Thrive program or yourself at the end of their rope. What would the world look like if as soon as we got any kind of symptom of chronic disease, or at the very least, like a diagnosis of a chronic disease, we just immediately went to people that followed this philosophy? I mean, I don't think we'd have to do these insane things sometimes. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. these, I mean, these 21 day diets, like, that's impressive, you know, but when you've been, I, I'll just say, I get it. When you've been through health stuff and you're t- sick and tired of being sick and tired, I, I definitely can relate to that. So hopefully we get the world to a place one day where this is just as a regular routine, you know, going to someone like us when you have chronic stuff as it is going to the ER if you break your arm, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 I absolutely love that. And and I love that, you know, there are people like us who really, you know, can help other people that are that are suffering, that are dealing with symptoms, that want to, you know, possibly reverse a condition. Um, it's just amazing what the body can do when you give it what it needs and, you know, take out what is not serving it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really important from the coaching perspective, which again, I want to talk about your biz in just a second. And with the FDN Thrive thing, I mean, we have coaches that have been through this and can actually, or they've walked the walk because it's almost impossible for anyone who's not been through this in some way or another to really and truly empathize with what people go through when they are trying things for years. You know, they might have been bedridden. They might have had relationships affected because very often many of us dealing with chronic illness either don't have the best moods or straight up have mood disorders. Uh, We might be dealing with anxiety or depression. I mean, there's just so many things, you know, so it's important to have these types of stories and to know that, hey, if you work with someone like Suzanne, you know, she ain't BSing you. Like she's been through this, she's done the work and that coaching aspect is just as important as the actual food that we're eating. And so that leads to my next question. I know you already said this, but just so it's clear for the end, who is your ideal client and then where can people find your business? Yeah, so my ideal client is um, a woman. I work with uh, midlife women, 30 to 65 or so. And women who really want to, uh, heal, he- heal, you know, symptoms that they're dealing with. I do a lot with weight loss, but I'm about getting to the root causes. Like the hormones need to be balanced. Um, you know, digestion needs to be working properly. We don't want to be struggling with inflammatory symptoms. So women who, you know, are willing to, you know, if they've done the dieting thing, they've done the dieting roller coaster, and they are ready to, you know, really get to the root causes so that they can lose the weight and and keep it off permanently. Sounds good to me. Um, Let's finish up here with the signature question of the podcast, which is, again, a really easy one. But nonetheless, it's cool collecting these answers. And I actually was hesitant to do this because I thought we'd just be getting routine stuff as time went on. But quite frankly, I keep hearing unique answers all the time. So it's still interesting for me to do. That question is, if we were able to give Suzanne a magic wand And you had the ability to get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's, you know, starting a habit or stopping a certain habit. What is that one thing that you would get everyone in this world to do? Starting a habit or stopping a habit. I really would. um, my, My top tip would be to really start practicing self-care, have self-care in your daily routine, whether that's, you know, some, some quiet breathing time, some meditation, some 
gratitude practice, but really getting yourself into that calm parasympathetic nervous system mode. And when we can get into that mode, it can really help you to connect with yourself more deeply. It can bring ideas to you, um, can connect you with people who may be able to help you on your journey, but really getting in touch with ourselves and kind of, you know, shutting out the busyness for a while and really tuning in. Because I believe that we all have a lot of answers inside of us that if we just take that time to tune in, we'll be we'll be guided to to where to what we need to find and where where we need to be. I couldn't have said that better myself. I think self-care is such an underrated thing. And for the longest time, I honestly wouldn't even have known what that term really meant. Like I thought self-care was like bubble baths or something like that. But self-care is really you know, this is the unofficial term or uh, definition, I should say, is anything that we're doing to support ourselves. That's not work, right? It's something that's actually recreational and fun and relieves stress. And it's also positive because there's many things that people do recreationally that are certainly not so positive, right? So for me, self-care is like hiking. It's getting out, it's biking, it's doing stuff in nature. Um, That's what I like the most. And so I love that you finished with that answer, Suzanne, because I think it's so cool how our FDNs get into these super technical answers and categories and then some of the stuff that they would do like the biggest things they would do for their health are the simplest ones so everyone thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the fdn thrive podcast as always i'm your host evan transu aka health coach ev and we've been talking to suzanne healy if you would be so kind please consider leaving us a five-star review on apple podcasts a few kind words are even better it helps this message and information get out to the people that need it most we appreciate you listening and we'll talk to you again soon take care Thanks for tuning in to the FDN Thrive Podcast. If you feel like you've been stuck in the cycle of trial and error when it comes to your health issues, our team can help. Whether you've tried every different diet out there without lasting success, spent way too much money on supplements at your local health food store, or been told that your lab tests are normal despite feeling anything but normal, we have your back. Go to FDNThrive.com and click the Get Started Here button if you're ready to stop playing guessing games with your health. That's FDNThrive.com. Thrive.com.